Good evening, the top story. Just when you think it couldn't get any worse, it has. Today, the Mumbai police arrested Bindu Dara Singh, recently the winner of Big Boss, for his links with bookies. This is a huge shocker because Bindu, a popular TV star, has been seen in many matches and friendly with many players in the VIP box. So, also police sources say, could there be a possible link with someone in the BCCI? No confirmation yet, but they are investigating this. Also, for the first time, clear evidence of Havala links, as well over 1 crore rupees was recovered from an alleged Havala operator. That money shown at a press conference by the Mumbai police today. Then the other shocker, Sahara. The main sponsors of the Indian cricket team have pulled out of the IPL and they aren't renewing their sponsorship of the India cricket team, which runs out this year. This because of a fight the BCCI over encashment of their bank guarantee. That's the big story tonight. Arrested Vindu Dara Singh, a reality TV star and son of actor and wrestler Dara Singh. On Tuesday, Mumbai police arrested Ramesh Vyas, one of the prominent bookies from Mumbai, who was in touch with the henchmen of Anis Ibrahim, Daud Ibrahim's brother, who manages the entire betting syndicate. It was during his interrogation that the name of Vindu Dara Singh cropped up. The Mumbai police arrested two more, a former Rajasthan Royals player and a bookie, and seized 1 crore 28 lakh in cash. The first is that of Alpesh Patel, who is a Hawala operator connected to these bookies. We have recovered cash of approximately 1 crore and 28 lakh rupees from a search of his premises. So far, 19 have been arrested in various cities and some of them, including the three cricketers, S. Rishant, Ajit Chandila and Ankit Chavan, were produced in a court in Delhi today where the police were granted another five days of custody. Though the police are yet to find any unexplained cash from Srishant, they say they have found mobile phones that he bought with the money and gifted to his girlfriend. They also say Chandila was paid through the Hawala route. It was a packed courtroom as defense lawyers of all the 15 accused as well as a lot of journalists were present in sight for this very high profile case. All the accused were brought in sight in turns including the cricketers Srishant, Ankit Chavan and Ajit Chandila. There was also a small commotion between the police and the defense lawyers as the latter claimed that there was no need to seek an extension in custody as recoveries could have easily been made by the police over the past five days. It was an embarrassing day for the BCCI as well. While the Supreme Court dismissed a petition asking for a ban on the IPL, it said the biggest problem was the BCCI's lackadaisical attitude and that definitely there was some kind of irregularity. Cricket is a gentleman's game. It shouldn't get tainted. Meanwhile, taking note of the Rajasthan Royals' complaint against its players, the police have now added the charge of criminal breach of trust to the charges of cheating and criminal conspiracy that the cricketers already face. With Rashmi Rajput in Mumbai and Tanima Biswas in New Delhi, Anusya Mathur for NDTV. And the fiasco just keeps getting worse and worse. And with Sahara deciding to pull out of the IPL, with Sahara saying they're deeply disappointed with the BCCI attitude, Nikhil, this couldn't come as worse news for the BCCI because really Sahara is the ones who fund the Indian cricket team. 
Well, that's right. I mean, look at the association, Sonia. They've been associated with the Indian team for the past 13 years. And probably that's one reason that's hurt Sahara the most. If you read the press release that they've sent out, they say that BCCI as a sports body should have some kind of sportsmanship. That's what they're hurt about. In fact, it's a very strong statement that Sahara have issued. They're, they're really hurt about the fact that they've been, the way the BCCI has dealt with them, considering the fact that they've been one of the oldest patrons of the game. This all boils down to that franchise fees. In fact, remember, Sahara paid the maximum for any franchise. 1700 crores hmm. and every year you need to pay that franchise fee uh, what Sahara is saying that at the time that they bought the team you had promised 94 matches those hmm. have been reduced to 60 odd matches if you reduce the number of matches reduce the franchise fee as well this is something that the BCCI is not ready to do in fact we had a situation last year when uh, when Sahara decided to pull out of the IPL but then there were negotiations and Sahara eventually agreed what Sahara is saying now it's been a year they've been trying to get in touch with the BCCI they've got no response they're not ready to uh, handle this situation not ready to get into negotiations and the worst thing the last straw Sonia was uh, when BCCI officials went yesterday and cashed that bank guarantee this is something that's really peeved the Sahara officials and they've said they want to end their relationship with cricket uh, in in terms of sponsorship and also as an IPL team Nikhil of course uh, this comes uh, the Supreme Court has also a harsh words against the BCCI so there's clearly the controversy is just getting worse and worse what are we likely to see happen over the next few days because literally beyond a point saying that somebody from the anti-corruption unit will travel for all these matches how is the BCCI going to tackle the huge bad publicity and controversy around IPL and cricket well, um, going by past instances, Sonia, nothing much will be done. We've seen uh, BCCI get bad publicity, but unfortunately, nothing has been done. In fact, BCCI over the years has done nothing to really, uh, you know, do in, as far as image building is concerned. Mm -hmm. Now they have a, a, a double problem to deal with. Like we mentioned, the spot fixing scenario, but we heard in the spot fixing uh, scandal what the BCCI came out and said is that listen, we are trying our best. It's because of these three uh, bad eggs that we've got, these three bad apples, and that's why we're getting a bad name. But BCCI is doing everything. So in terms of uh, relationship building, I don't think you'll see uh, much from the BCCI. But this Sahara pullout, I think, will be a big jolt to the BCCI. We heard Rajiv Shukla a short while ago speak exclusively to NDTV and he was shocked. I would imagine that the BCCI will definitely get into talks with the Sahara. They can't lose out on a sponsor like Sahara who's been associated with them for 13 years. But unfortunately, Sonia, what Sahara have come out and said that they do not want to get into any more negotiations. They do not want to speak to BCCI and their association with cricket is all but over. So sadly, it's all boiling down to the money instead of to the game. That's perhaps the heart of the problem. Nikhil Nas, thanks very much for joining me tonight. And I spoke earlier too well, an IPL team owner, Preeti Zinta, she's currently promoting her new movie, Ishk in Paris. But Preeti, uh, just to ask you, everybody's talking about this whole Bollywood connection with the arrest of uh, Vindu, son of Dara Singh, Big Boss winner. How do you keep positive about IPL in the midst of all these scandals and this latest arrest of Vindu? I'm always going to be smiling in life because I've uh, on my own never done anything wrong and I don't believe in anything like this but having said that it's too early for me to make any comments right now because everything is it's just too early and uh, uh, it's my amazing luck that the one time I have my film coming out of the three and a half years the first day I decide to have the entire press meet in Delhi for Ishkin Paris 
the first bit of the IPL controversy breaks through and I'm like, I step into the studio and everyone's like, IPL, 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 IPL and I'm like, oh my God. Today, I do my second round of interviews in Bombay and now somebody else is arrested, so everybody wants to talk about this. I think it's too early, honestly, for mm -hmm. us to make comments on this right now because we need to see, uh, wait and watch. It's, of course, very, very sad. And I am, in a way, uh, 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 very sad and heartbroken about it because I've invested so much time, effort, energy and emotions in this. And as owners, uh, as I said earlier, we are the biggest victims, you know, and it's really, you, you end up doing everything, you end up putting all the financial investments and then you only become the idiot. But as an owner, that's what everyone asks. It wasn't the IPL, uh, you heard it's been called the Indian Fixing League. How is it that as owners, you had no inkling of what was going on? Uh, now, considering again the arrest of Vindu, somebody who's been seen at all these matches in the VIP box, no inkling of bookies, betting, this kind of spot fixing that was going on. Many compare it to the uh, world wrestling which goes on in America, which is completely fixed. You're a journalist. Did you have any inkling? No, we didn't, but we weren't directly involved in the IPL, were we? The same way, why should we, uh, you know, why should we have an inkling when you don't know something like this is happening, A. And B, just because one or two or three or four or even five or six people are doing something like this, you can't taint the whole uh, league. Mm -hmm. It's like today, in, uh, but don't you realize somewhere that maybe it's an Indian thing? I mean, look at us, our, look at our politicians. We are only getting scam after scam after scam. Everything around us is a scam. So maybe we are a country of scams and we thrive in something like this. Having said that, I'm getting a little uh, hardcore in it. I think it's uh, not nice at all. I have even said it earlier. Um, well, I'm a little hardcore as a person and my suggestions, I'm sure, are not going to be welcome. But if, if I was the person who could make any difference or I could set the rules, I wouldn't waste my time, effort and the public money with so many investigations. I would just keep a polygraph tests mm -hmm. and they're the simplest and the easiest ways to find out, you know. A polygraph test, but tell me Preeti, because IPL has been in controversy since uh, what happened in, in the whole Lalit Modi controversy. In fact, when even uh, you and your team was being investigated as well, you don't think enough is enough. You don't think that it's reached a certain uh, level that you just want to actually get out of IPL. You still want to stay in there and support your team. If I would have done anything wrong and so many investigations happened, I would have definitely paid the price for it. So I think I've definitely faced flack because of people and the media just making such a hoo-ha out of something which doesn't need to be made a hoo-ha. And by the time it settles down, you're the one who's the loser. So that's why I'm not reacting right now. I'm going to wait and watch and see exactly what it is, who is involved, who isn't involved. And why should I quit? Winners don't quit and quitters don't win. It's as simple as that. If I haven't done anything wrong or anybody else hasn't done anything wrong, why should we quit? The point is that if there is something wrong, I think the authorities should also push it and stop the red tapism and go find out exactly what's happening. I myself would like to know what's happening and I'm sure so would the BCCI because it's IPL is a huge property for them. They wouldn't want it to just get tainted for no rhyme or reason. They, they are very mindful of that and we will put uh, uh, stronger measures. But even as owners, our hands are tied. There's just X amount we can do. So, uh, tell, uh, tell me, uh, Preeti, you're saying that your hands are tied right now as owners. But there's so much cynicism right now. There's so much cynicism about cricket, about uh, India. You talked about this whole country as scams. And you're going ahead and releasing your movie at this current time. You don't think that's going to get affected by this? 
Babe, nothing can put down a, a, a good movie and uh, I think, uh, you know, uh, there's always an audience for movies that go in there and watch the, um, the movie. Of course, news is 24-7, you can switch it on whenever you want to. Movies, you have to go to a theatre, so why not? Tell me, for you, Preeti, because in a sense, you haven't been seen on screen for a long time. How important is Ishq in uh, Paris for you? For your career, what happens if it doesn't do well? A lot of people have said you went into IPL because your Bollywood career was uh, over. What happens if Ishkin Paris doesn't do well? See, I've always looked at life with one, uh, one thought in my head. We all fear. Fear is with everybody. You know, you fear that what if you do this and it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. But more than fearing something, I have an amazing and incredible amount of curiosity that what if I don't fail? You know, the fear of failure, everyone has it. What if I don't fail? Then what? Then there is something beyond that. And for me, uh, uh, I never, film was never my first love, but it became my first love. And at some point, I'd run out of inspiration. So I moved to cricket because, you know, I was the number one actress. I had it all. But somehow I wasn't, you know, dying to do a film. I got very excited with the cricket. And then one day I was sitting, uh, uh, it was our last game of the season. And um, if we would have won it, we would have made the semis. We didn't win it. The Dalai Lama was sitting next to me and I, I was like this long face. And he said, it's okay. And I said, sir, with all due respect, it's not okay. I play to win. So he looked at me and he smiled and he said, uh, well, if you want to win, then play in your own field. I don't see you holding a bat. And somehow that's just put a lot of things in perspective for me. And I'm finally excited about doing a film. And uh, of course, uh, Prem and me, we have done the story, screenplay, dialogue mm -hmm. for the film. It's not a film that you have to leave your brains behind. It's logical, it's sensible, it's funny. Having said that, I put my best foot forward. I, I don't know, as I joked about it, I've left it all to Uparwala, but more than Uparwala, to the Nichewalas who buy all the tickets. Right, uh, Preeti Zinta, thanks so much uh, for joining me on IPL and your new movie. But let's just move to the other big political debate tonight. And on his last day in office, still controversy as the outgoing controller and Auditor General of India, Vinod Rai, steps down. Old sparring partner, Minister Manish Tiwari, today hit out saying that Vinod Rai did the greatest damage to the India story with unverified figures of public loss. Manish Tiwari also challenged Mr. Rai to a one-on-one -on -one debate. This as Mr. Rai maintained his stand, saying that he stands by every one of his reports and the losses quoted. He also said he feels sorry for those who told who tout a zero-loss theory. Meanwhile, the new controversy over the appointment of the Defence Secretary Shashikant Sharma as the new CAG, with senior lawyer Prashant Bhushan of the AAP party asking how will he as a CAG investigate deals signed during his tenure as Defence Secretary. Our question tonight, can an individual empower an institution or overpower it. The final showdown. I think uh, he's possibly done the greatest damage to the India story by throwing sensational and uh, unverified figures in the public space. Uh, it would be possibly worth the while of this country and maybe worth the while of the outgoing CNAG since he's now retired that we have a one-on-one -on -one debate on his 2G report. No institution can really substitute its own policy prescriptions for the policy prescriptions of the elected government. Best known for his presumptive figure of 1.76 lakh crore rupees in the 2G spectrum allocation, Comptroller and Auditor General Vinod Rai threatened the very survival of the UPA government. And even a day before he demits his office, the country's top auditor stood his ground. Nobody can say for definite what is the quantum of loss.
I feel sorry for the country if any one of these people feel that there is no loss to the exchequer. In his controversial five-year tenure, the Babu-turned-adversary also gave ammunition against the Prime Minister to the already combative opposition. In his report on coal block allocation, the auditor's observation that there was a financial gain of about 1.86 lakh crore rupees to private parties triggered a fresh confrontation. Parliament was stalled. The Prime Minister even forced to give a rebuttal in the House. A cornered government finally blamed Rai for single-handedly ushering in policy paralysis. In his Harvard speech, Vinod Rai said, should we as public auditors limit our role to placing reports in Parliament or go beyond that? So did the official auditor exceed his mandate? India's most politically divisive bureaucrat is often accused by the Congress of playing to the gallery but backed by the opposition. Sir, why, why Manish Tiwari is now loudly saying and protesting against CAG? Because they want to build pressure on the new CAG also. The auditor has been compared to TN Station who aggressively courted the media to clean up the electoral system. The change that Vinod Rai has brought will be lasting because that is in keeping with the spirit of the constitution. Nobody can become larger than the constitution. The constitution given the mandate, he was big enough to, to fit the shoes given to him by the constitution. But the man who raised the public profile of his office leaves behind a mixed legacy. Today, questions over the appointment of his successor, ironically, even before he takes over. From 2003 to 2010, he was in charge of defense procurement. And you all know that one of the main tasks of the CAG is to audit defense procurements. Therefore, there is a huge conflict of interest in his appointment to this post. As he finishes his tenure largely dominated with confrontations with the government, the head of the financial watchdog knows that he's redefined the more than century and a half year old institution. But his critics argue that in doing so, has the individual become larger than the institution itself? In New Delhi, Siddharth Pandey for NDTV. And in this case, Mr. Rai's many, many fans say the individual has empowered the institution, not overpowered it, as the government claims. Joining me tonight on that debate, Shantaram Nayak, Rajya Sabha MP of the Congress, also chairman of the Parliamentary Standing Committee on Personnel, Public Grievances, Law and Justice. Also with me, Chandan Mitra, Rajya Sabha MP, member of the National Executive of the BJP. I'm also joined by Mr. R.K. Raghavan, former director of the CBI, and Prashant Pushan, senior lawyer and member of the Aam Aadmi Party, who raises questions about the new CAG taking over. Mr. Shantaram Nayak, it's over to you first. While the Congress may still attack Mr. Rai even on his last day of office, it's true that those not only within the opposition but many, many others have lauded him for standing up to what many uh, see as an institution which can easily be overpowered by the government, especially considering the appointment is done by within the government. There's no committee, there's no collegium at all. In fact, Mr. Rai suggested that this must change. You see, one thing is, Article 151 of the Constitution under which the CAG has to work, that article was smashed right and left by the CAG. Theory of presumptive losses, if you take it very in strict sense, it is the CAG's reports also issued from time to time, which has also caused, accordingly, according to many experts, tremendous 
presumptive loss if you go by the term of CAG himself. Who are the experts now, beyond those in the Congress Party, Mr. Uh, Mr. Nayak? Who are the experts who have said that beyond those within the Congress Party? What is it? May, may, who, are the who are the experts who said that the CAG have caused loss? They are mainly Digvijay Singh, Manish Tiwari, people within the government. What Digvijay Singh? Question is not of Digvijay Singh or Shantaram Nayak or Manish Tiwari. Question is uh, whether a CAG chairperson is entitled to hold press conferences loud and on foreign soil and criticize the very government to whom the, this CAG is to be served. Why did it go to uh, Howard uh, and other places to malign the government which has appointed him, maybe under the constitution? No, but let me just get Chandan uh, behaving yeah. like a political leader. Why is that a bad sign? But Chandan Mitra, basically I think Mr. Shantaram Nayak's argument seems to be is that he should have been loyal to the government which appointed him. Yes, they always want to know uh, what you uh, recently saw in the Colgate thing. You have a minister who summons people to his chamber and, uh, and dictates paragraphs and sentences to that to be changed. They would have liked the CAG. Uh, to have shown the report to the ministers concerned, to have gone to Mr. A. Raja and told him, see, I have you know, made this report, would you like to change it? Then Congress would have been very happy. We would have gone to the Prime Minister and said, sir, this is the, these are the problems, this is where you are uh, at fault, so would you like to uh, amend it? Uh, and then the Prime Minister's office, some joint secretary would have dictated the changes. That would have made Mr. Shantaram Nayak and his cohorts very, very happy. They are used to all this. They are used to psychophancy, they are used to people kowtowing and bending to them in the hope of a post-retirement uh, governorship or ambassadorship. Mr. Vinod Rai was made of different material and he stood his ground and he gave a report that I think is going to go down in history as one of the finest examples of uh, um, public accountability and you know when they talk, all these fellows talk about uh, the <coughs> presumptive loss, notional loss, I suppose they are saying the Supreme Court acts in uh, out of thin air. The, when the Supreme Court cancelled 152 licenses yes. in the 2G scandal, that, that they did it out of nothing. No, but, that uh, but, uh, that uh, Supreme Court um, uh, report judgment is also notional. That but, uh, I mean, if there was no loss, why did the Supreme Court cancel? But uh, Chandan Mitra, uh, Mr. Shantaranayak, let me get in Prashant Bhushan on a point in which both parties are thinking indulge in double speak. Mr. Chandan Mitra, as you praise Vinod Rai, we know for a fact that CAG reports in various states ruled by the BGP, including in Gujarat, have not been accepted by the BGP. So in that sense, we can't choose which reports are, or which CAGs are alright and which CAGs are not. So also the question of how a CAG is appointed. No government has even changed it ever so far. Will a government give up its control on appointing such a key figure? Prashant Bhushan, come in on that point. Yes, you see the CAG is supposed to be a watchdog institution. It audits all the expenditure of the government and it is now supposed to audit even these public-private partnerships. Uh, Mr. Vinod Rai during his tenure has uh, steered the CAG uh, with great ability and he has uh, been instrumental in a very large number of very seminal reports not only about the expenditure of the central government but also about the expenditure of the states where he has uh, lambasted the Gujarat government, the Chhattisgarh government and various opposition party governments also. And that is why we find 
that uh, it's not just the government it's also the opposition parties who want weak and pliable persons as CAGs while the BJP may have been happy uh, about the discomfiture caused by Mr. Vinod Rai's reports on the central government they were unhappy about the discomfiture caused to them on the state government's uh, CAG's reports. Now uh, in the new appointment of the CAG it is surprising that a person with uh, serious conflicts of interest who was in charge of defense procurement and the main job of the CAG is to audit those defense procurements because those are the main expenditures from the government which the CAG audits. Mm -hmm. The uh, BJP has been totally silent. Are they silent because one of the main uh, audits being done by the CAG at this point of time is this Reliance's KG Basin? Because we know that so when, when it comes to Reliance, the uh, BJP is equally silent as the Congress. The so BJP, uh, the, uh, this Reliance seems to have both the Congress and the BJP in their pockets. And I'm that is why the BJP has also been silent about this new gentleman being appointed. Well, that's, that's your allegation, but let's just get the BGP and Congress to respond to that. I'm going to come back to both of you on those points, but I just said go across to Mr. R.K. Raghavan on some key points really being raised here. One is that uh, while an opposition may uh, support any individual they feel is speaking out against the ruling government, when they're actually in government, we see that very different standards actually apply. How do we actually empower our institutions so that it doesn't become about the individual, but about our how our institutions uh, function? For instance, there's a whole criticism about CBI directors uh, being taken, uh, being appointed to constitutional posts after retirement. It's been brought up about uh, judges as well. The current CBI case where the Ranjit Sinai had given affidavit to the Supreme Court, many questioned why he didn't actually stand up <coughs> when that meeting was summoned in the first place. Why is it always outside support needed for somebody to discover his spine in a sense? Um, uh, thank you very much for inviting me to this discussion. You have covered a very vast uh, canvas. Um, I have to cover the uh, entire ambit of what you mm -hmm. have said. Yes. I hope you'll give me a couple of minutes. Yes. Uh, the first thing, uh, I heard Mr. Naik uh, refer to loyalty on the part of every appointee of the government. This is the kind of mindset which prevents good people from coming to public service. I mean, if you want senior officials like us to be loyal to government, this, uh, the term loyalty is very dubious. Does it mean subservience even when you see something sinister being done around you? You want to pull up somebody who has uh, been on the wrong side of law? If you want that kind of loyalty, I not said then loyal. I think that... I not said loyal. Uh, you said loyalty. Yeah, I, you said the, the person should be loyal to the government which appointed him. This is what I heard. Unless I heard you wrong, let the other panelists uh, correct me if I am wrong. But do you, do you use the word loyalty? If you expect this kind of loyalty, I don't think good public self, good officials will come to occupy public uh, uh, appointments. And this is why many good people shun occupying positions of authority under the government. Uh, I'm not referring to any particular party. I think uniformly different political parties that are unkind to certain uh, civil servants who have been slightly <coughs> different from what their predecessors are. Mm -hmm. So having said that, I think the, the, the kind of um, scrutiny which Vinod Rai underwent was very unfortunate. You have an outstanding civil servant who was different from his predecessors, who, uh, trailed, new, uh, who uh, trailed new territories to make the CIG a real force to reckon with. I think it's a forgotten chapter, but I, I, I personally feel, I have not known him well, but whatever I heard of him, 
um, I think speaks volumes for that man's integrity, his courage. I hope the new incumbent will follow uh, Mr. Vinodrai in being bold, uh, courageous and speaking the truth. And, and um, um, you said, Sonia, you said something about the CBA director. Mm -hmm. Yes, um, there were some question marks about a recent episode, why the law minister uh, invited him to attend a meeting and why the CBA director meekly surrendered. Yeah, this will be uh, talked about for quite some time to come. And I'm sure the current incumbent has learned a lesson. And I'm sure in future, this, the current incumbent, as to the future directors, will know the limits up to which they can, they can be submissive to government. They know the, the, the rights, they know their authority, and they know that they're accountable only to the Supreme Court. This is what some of us have been clamoring for. In future, the CBA director should be accountable. He, he may be autonomous, that doesn't mean he's not accountable. Yes. He'll be accountable to the Supreme Court and to nobody else. Uh, so, uh, accountable uh, in a sense to the people of India. That's really the point, I think. And uh, Mr. Yeah, Nair, yeah, that, I think that is fundamental. I call the Supreme Court. Yeah, please. I call the Supreme like Court. It's a, it's a constant. I think Mr. Nair, that's the problem has been that the perception is or the uh, charge against you is that the UPA government has made constitutional institutions accountable to them. That that subverts the very basis yes. of democracy. That's and that's really what we're debating that's here it. when you have, when you have right. Manish Tiwari making you the point that the order that the CAG has done the greatest damage to the India story. Is that fair? How can you blame him for this? You see, Mr. Vidodra is saying that is not the duty of only placing the report in parliament but we would like to sensitize the people of the country on matters <coughs> with respect to which we have submitted our report and he doesn't want the majority to remain silent what does he mean by that he is provoking people against the government established by law is making and information is public provoking the people the government how is making information public provoking the people <coughs> he is provoking people by saying majority should be heard and and question is why he is saying that policies of the government are wrong indirectly he is nobody to lay down the policies he has to follow the constitution he has to explain the policies of the government on the contrary he wants to dictate his own policies as he understands them on the people of India. Th that's, is right? That's, that's a point which I will uh, raise with you, Chandra Mitra, as well, because in a sense, there is some discomfort in political circles, not only amongst the Congress circles, but on how far a constitutional authority should go beyond his brief. Yes, Mr. Rai is perfectly within his rights to audit uh, the money spent on policies, but can he go beyond to say this policy would have been better than that? For instance, the NDA is the one which first came in with the controversial uh, 2G policy. Arun Shori has said again and again, I stand by the policy, I don't stand by the way it was subverted. But the CAG doesn't agree with the policy at all. Surely policy and uh, what what benefits there are, suppose you want to take it to areas which are say, uh, which will be low profit but which will provide a greater national interest, a government is entitled to do that, that's what they are elected for. No, I think the CAG is within its uh, rights to uh, examine all aspects of policy and say that had this policy not been followed and some other policy been followed, the result would have been better, it is within their rights. But it is the government's prerogative to lay down policy. And as the CAG report actually says, 
it says that the first come first serve principle is uh, perhaps not the best but since it had been adopted it should have been adopted in a systematic and a proper manner mm -hmm. uh, out, through scrutiny uh, but in this particular case they have criticized the allotment by saying that when you shift the goalpost you prepone the date uh, of that um, first yes. come first serve you give 24 hours for people to come with the ready checks so then you are subverting every policy you change the goalpost you change the referee you even change the ball that you are going to play with no, and therefore uh, he, but, has, he has really lambasted. But then why, for instance, no, the, point, right. the point Not which Arthur should raise, why doesn't the NBA accept the CAD report the in Gujarat and Chhattisgarh and why doesn't either the Congress or the BGP accept the points made about reliance by the CAG report. Uh, Prashant Bhushan says that both parties, opposition and ruling party, have maintained a mysterious silence no. when it's convenient. Yeah, I, want, I, want to, I want to reply. Mm -hmm. I want to reply, Mr. Prashant Bhushan, unfortunately, was still now wearing that skull cap uh, that uh, portrayed him as some Aamadhi party spokesperson, which is very unfortunate <laughs> because he's a brilliant lawyer and I respect his comments on uh, legal issues. But when he makes these kind of allegations that uh, both parties are the same, or both are beholden to reliance and so on. He knows this is not true, but politically he has to make these statements. You know, uh, we, um, we have been the first to criticize this KG Basin uh, scandal and on various other issues. So, I mean, I don't accept all this, but I know he is <laughs> under compulsion now as a politician to say various things. Uh, but look. Are there, all politicians under compulsion to say various things? So, you are saying you don't believe what you say either, Mr. Nayak doesn't believe because <laughs> you are know, politicians. No, look, look, Sonia, Sonia, why do you want to ma make me speak <laughs> candidly? Of course, there are many a time as a spokesperson, I may have to say something I do not necessarily believe. We all have to do that. But, uh, but at least you know we say something with conviction, not like Mr. Shantarab died. Who knows that he, uh, what he is saying is he doesn't even uh, even remotely believe in. Uh, my colleague in the Rajya Sabha, Sonia, he is a very nice man. Yes, but he is Mr. Raghavan, you want to come in? Uh, you want to come in on that point? Yeah. This whole issue also yeah, about the no, new CAG. Can, can a former civil servant who served in the government then become a CAG to oversee his own policies? Is there a point of question there? No, I, yeah, uh, that's exactly the point on which I wanted to come back. Mr. Prasant Burton, a good friend of mine, um, raised some doubts about the conflict of interest that Mr. Sharma, who is the new appointee, had been Defence Secretary for quite a few uh, years. Mm -hmm. And it is possible uh, some of these matters, uh, contentious matters relating to purchases by the Defence Ministry, may come to him for a view. Mm -hmm. I quite appreciate that point. But uh, I slightly differ from him in the sense, as strong as there have been no allegations directly against Mr. Sharma during his tenure as Defence Secretary, I don't think there is any bar to his being appointed as CAG. After all, if, uh, as he, when he is uh, CAG and during the course of his office, if some allegations are leveled, there is an independent agency like the CBI, yes. definitely, that can look into these allegations. And then if there is some credibility, to these allegations, government may take a view and then advise the CAG accordingly. Mm. Possibly you can come to an arrangement whereby the CAG incumbent, if there are allegations against him with regard to a particular purchase, will not comment. You will have to depend on the wisdom of the CBI and uh, any other independent Yes, factor. and of course we all have to remember that Mr. Vinod Rai was after all appointed by then Finance Minister Mr. P. Chidambaram. There is no collegium, no advice and uh, well, we will uh, see uh, the Finance Minister Mr. Chidambaram. I don't know if he regrets his decision or actually applauds it silently, but thank you all.
very much for joining me on a crucial debate because it really sets the roadmap for institutions being accountable to the people of India. Thank you all very much for joining me tonight. We'll move to the other big story this evening. One of the IT world's biggest names, Kanish Murthy, has been sacked as CEO of well-known company iGate on charges of misconduct because he didn't make his relationship with an employee in his company public. She has filed uh, claims of sexual harassment to the company. Mr. Murthy, in a conference call with journalists today, said that this was extortion, not harassment. He was in a relationship with her, but how this has opened the floodgates for sheer extortion. Let's just look at that story. IT executive Fanish Murthy sacked for not disclosing a relationship. But the 49-year-old tainted CEO of iGate claims it is not a case of sexual harassment but one of extortion. It was just a personal relationship. Uh, the company policy on, info in, on the relationship is basically that uh, if any two people in a company have a relationship, technically they claim that uh, you know it has to be informed. It's a it's a small note in an employee handbook somewhere. Uh, I think uh, if you look at your own employee handbook, it might very well be there. Uh, you know, uh, so that's all it is. It, it's basically you have to inform your superior. His termination from the California-based outsourcing firm has reopened a decade-old scandal. This is the second time when Murthy has had to leave a company because of allegations of sexual misconduct. He left Infosys in 2002 after a sexual harassment lawsuit against him, but it was settled out of court. But are such cases brushed under the carpet in India? Sexual harassment at the workplace is rampant, but no one talks about it. Officially, just 17% of working women in major cities have admitted to it. But on condition of anonymity, 88% of women in IT companies reveal they have faced some form of sexual harassment. In the software capital itself, over 700 complaints were filed with the Karnataka Labor Department just last year. The catch? All of them unofficial. Anonymous emails, letters and complaints without full details of a case. It was only in 1997 that sexual harassment at work was recognized in India when the landmark Vishakha guidelines were laid down. Sixteen years later, India has a law that may not be a deterrent. In 2013, Justice Verma's report recommended changes that were just partially implemented. The new law which brings in its ambit even domestic workers and agriculture labor, both organized and unorganized sectors. But activists say the mechanism of filing complaints is too bureaucratic and could deter women from coming forward. NDTV Bureau Report. Well, joining me on this debate tonight, really, is it about extortion, as Finish Murthy claims? Is it really about the fact that whatever the truth is of this case, that sexual harassment cases are greatly underreported, especially in India? We made that point that in Bangalore, for instance, the Labor Department doesn't even have one case or complaint of sexual harassment with them. Are we speaking it under the carpet? Joining me tonight on that, I'm joined by Mohandas uh, Pai, currently, of course, uh, with uh, Manipal, but he was the former HR head of Infosys at a time when Finish Murthy faced similar charges. There was then an out-of-court settlement on the sexual harassment charges. I'm also joined by Reena Mukherjee. She's a journalist who was with the statesman. She actually complained and then lost her job. She went to the State Women's Commission and won her case only in 2003. 
I'm joined also by Vinda Grover, a well-known lawyer who deals specifically in these issues, and also by Manish Mittal. He's a member of the NGO, the Save India Family Foundation, and he actually uh, represented in front of the Standing Committee, his NGO as well, when the new law uh, against sexual harassment in the workplace came into effect just about a year ago. Mr. Mohandas Pai, over to you first. As a former HR head, it's always difficult when an allegation like this comes up. Now, in this Igate instance, uh, uh, Mr. Murthy has apparently been sacked because he didn't disclose the relationship. He says no sexual harassment has been proved against him. And in fact, the point that a similar charge has been made against him and settled has opened the floodgates against him. Would you buy that argument? No, I don't buy the argument because what happened in 2002 was very clear. There were two things. One was the complaint of sexual harassment in the court with a very graphic description in the plaint by a former person who uh, reported to him. And two, his uh, you know, suppression of the fact before the board as Naran Muthi had uh, spoken in the press conference. Mm -hmm. Both these things came together. The company was uh, uh, charged with, uh, uh, with negligence in protecting the woman employee in a court of law in the United States. And the company chose to settle with the complainant because of high costs. And Farnish Muthi was, of course, asked to go and his accounts were settled. And in this case, from what I read, uh, I find that he had a relationship which he says is consensual with an employee of the company. And obviously in the company, when a person who is a senior manager or a manager has a relationship with a consensual or otherwise with the employee who reports to him or is one of his direct indirect reporters, then obviously there is a presumption that, that there is undue influence on that victim. Mm -hmm. And if the victim happens to complain, and I think as has been done in this case where outside counsel has come and made investigation, obviously the odds are against you uh, that you can get away. And that's exactly what has happened. I think the company has been right in taking the decision. And I don't buy this argument that it is consensual, it is there in small print. I think it's a bit too much. In fact, interestingly, if this had happened in India, it's uh, absolutely unlikely that a CEO of a company would be signed, uh, would be sacked really with... Uh, on this basis and that really Rina Mukherjee I really like to bring you in here and ask you about what happened with you because here when you actually file a sexual harassment case it's automatically assumed that the person who's complaining is either uh, telling a lie or has to have evidence to support it what what is your experience of fighting a case like this in my case when I had complained in the company at that time, they had also initially uh -huh. uh, just tried to brush it under the carpet and asked me to resign, which I refused to. Later on, when I took it up with the Women's Commission, when I took it up with the network of women in media in India, uh, it, they were forced to have a sexual harassment complaints committee put up. But in spite of that, in spite of repeated requests by the Women's Commission, they refused to have an investigation done into my complaint and subsequently this complaint of mine had to be investigated into by the police. So they asked you uh, to resign. On what basis did your company actually ask you to resign? Why would they ask you to resign? Well, uh, they took advantage of a certain clause. It was clause 17 in my appointment letter which said that uh, uh, you know during the probationary period I could be terminated and yes I was a probationer so my probationary period even before it was completed I was asked to resign 
which I did not and so I was terminated. Mm -hmm. Vrinda Grover come in on that point because these are stories heard again and again yet every case has to be tried on its own merit and that's what Finish Muthi's argument is that there's no complaint against me in court on merit I did not deserve to be sacked this is extortion. Yet we know the reality also what happens with people like Rina Mukherjee that if you complain somehow the victim is made out to be the person who's done something wrong. Completely. Just first on this Fanish Murthy case, I am not able to access the employee handbook yeah. of iGate. It is not available anywhere on the net. Maybe Mr. Pai knows how to get hold of it. He keeps telling okay. us that he has actually been sacked as CEO for having a consensual relationship which he claims is some minor rule in the employee handbook. There are always gradation of penalties that are given to employees. I would be very surprised if not disclosing a consensual relationship with an employee actually entails the sacking of a CEO. I don't think what he's saying, nobody is buying it. It doesn't sound credible. There's obviously an but element just, just of sexual sexual harassment. harassment. He's not on the show his, and we've asked no, him he's before, but he's in the press conference. He's broadcast his, his, uh, yes. uh, his position across the globe. So I don't think he needs any protection and he needs to uh, respond to what I'm saying. I don't have access to certain documents on, on the basis of which I can uh, discuss it with him. I think Rina's case is very, very emblematic of what happens. Very, the pattern is that the woman, when she complains, she was even more vulnerable because it was the probation period. Mm -hmm. When she complains, she will be victimized. Immediately, she will be told her work is not of good quality, the standards are falling, they are not happy with her work, and she will either be coerced into resigning or she will be dismissed as redundant. The purpose of bringing in the sexual harassment law was to say that it is the employer's duty to provide a safe workplace and safety for women at the workplace we have to accept that the workplace is a gendered space and women are going to be are going to feel unsafe and the performance is impacted by sexual harassment hmm. in 1997 the vishakha judgment came in the law came in in 2013 in april but vishakha had the force of law in statesman she is telling us there was no internal complaints committee in the supreme court of india only two months ago has an internal complaints committee been set up for women lawyers and others. So we actually see that nobody has paid any attention to what is impacting on women's careers, women's lives at the workplace. And no one has paid the price because in that sense the sacking of a CEO of a company sends out a message if it happened in India, it would send out a message uh, down across the uh, board. But that how it would actually happen in India is very, very, um, I don't know if it would ever happen even if it's just on a charge like this. but. Go ahead, Manish Mittal, you have a very different view and you actually, your NGO was against this law before it came and you went in front of the Parliamentary uh, Standing Committee. Why is that? Because uh, look at the reality of what's happening. Actually, we were not against this law, but our view was that it's not a gender issue basically, it's a power issue. The person who is in power, he may exploit the position. So, it's gender neutral, yes. a woman so, boss can do the yes. same. Basically, what we were watching in the parliament that this law should be gender neutral, mm -hmm. irrespective of the men, women, even women can exploit their position. That's not that only. I think some companies like Wipro ha do have a gender neutral policy. Yes, even uh, countries like Pakistan, they have a gender neutral law about sexual uh, harassment at workplace. Even all the countries across the globe have gender neutral. Only India has the. Uh, so, so you are making the issue that it's about power. That's a valid point, uh, Mohandas Pai. Do you want to come in here? One, of course, on the issue that we raised. That why is a, such a strong message never been set out in an Indian company? It's always about <coughs> as I mean the. Uh, I'm sorry. 
it is always about the complainant having to prove their case, uh, the benefit of doubt always going to the person who is in power in a sense. Would this ever happen in an Indian company in India if we did not have to face a US court? Second issue about this being about power, not about gender. Well, I would say in the first instance that it is unfortunate that these things are not being done in India. In the case of that lady on the, on the, on the show, I would sympathize with her and hold the country, I mean hold that company accountable, the board accountable and I think she should have pursued it in court and taken to court because the Supreme Court judgment was law in this country, it is law in this country and it is illegal not to obey the law, illegal not to have that particular committee and I totally sympathize with her and I am really surprised that uh, we are not seeing cases of this type across Indian industry and I have reasons to believe that Indian industry is not very serious about enforcing uh, rules against sexual harassment in the, in the, in the, in the, in the, in the company. And as regards power versus gender, I mean, I would go with the argument that uh, women are more often than not wronged. Women are more often than not in an unequal position in a corporation. Our corporations are male-dominated. For example, a 100-year-old company has never had a woman as director on the board. It's ridiculous that you couldn't find a woman for 100 years. Mm -hmm. So it's a very male-dominated, uh, you know, patriarchal system in Indian industry which is against women. If a woman complains, they go after her and ask her to go. And I think women should stand up and fight. And we men who care about this thing should also fight and we must enforce the law. His law is very poorly enforced in this country. And the fact the Supreme Court did it only maybe two months ago, like one of the members said, yes. I mean it's shocking. Rina Mukherjee, would you like to come in as somebody who has been through this, go to court, approach the various avenues available to you? How easy was it? You never gave up. You decided to keep on fighting even though in a sense you moved on, you got another job. Why did you keep on fighting? Why was it so important to you? In the first place, uh, in spite of having put in already about 12 years in the profession, I felt when somebody was saying that I'm inefficient, in spite of the fact that I had so much to my credit, so many bylines, I felt I have to prove that I have never been professionally inept. That was, I think, the biggest driving force, especially since I had chosen this career out of my own free will. I wanted to make a difference, I wanted to become a journalist and today, I mean, it was after 12 years after having worked in several other organizations that I was suddenly being found inept and that was, I think, the biggest driving force. And I would also like to make a, a comment over here, uh, see, uh, you know, I, uh, all said and done, the Vishaka guidelines talked of having a sexual harassment complaints committee. Uh -huh. Uh, now, uh, in my case, I, uh, as I said, in spite of everything being done by the Women's Commission and that again was because we had a very proactive chairperson who tried to push my case but mm -hmm. uh, they did not have an investigation done. Uh, but in my heart of hearts, I also felt that a sexual harassment complaints committee, the way it is composed. I personally felt it was a godsend that they were not investigating because I felt it could never be an unbiased investigation and uh, that is one thing I would like to comment on you know uh, I feel that because my case was investigated by the police I came up with an unbiased in, uh, investigation from the police which helped me in my case. Right. Uh, the uh, the companies here, I find, you know, they are especially when it is a case of sexual harassment. Uh, it is also very difficult to prove it, and so uh, they always try to push in the case of 
inefficiency, professional inefficiency which caused us to um, sack her. Right. And that is what you know, that's, that's a problem with investigation by the police. Though, of course, uh, many companies uh, also have outside uh, unbiased uh, heads or chairpersons or whatever. In yeah. fact, NDTV has a chairperson from outside yeah. which actually heads uh, their sexual harassment yes. committee. We're completely out of time here, so do have to end. But this is an issue that will come up more and more, especially as I think as Sonia, more. Uh, Sonia. Yes. Sonia. Can I, see, I want to end by making a statement. Yes. Anti-sexual harassment cases work in America because you can claim huge damages. Unless we change the law of torts where victims can claim huge damages against corporations, things are not going to improve. So we need a single amendment in the law. Are the judges to say in a particular case, yes. that the Supreme Court or a good high court, that you can claim huge damages and award huge damages? That will send a message and that is what is needed. It's all about the bottom line eventually. But thanks very much all of you for joining me tonight. I'm sorry we're completely out of time.